For many of us, writes Pastor Dennis Edwards, anger, sadness, frustration, and fatigue are not episodic responses, but chronic conditions. In recent days, we've all seen, heard, and read of the lynching of Ahmaud Arbery, the shooting of Breonna Taylor, the use of the police by a white woman to threaten Christian Cooper, Minneapolis police officers executing George Floyd, and of the fact that COVID-19 disproportionately harms black and brown people. The videos have helped some white people to see a bit of what many black and brown people know. White America has long had its knee on our necks. I am sure that some who just heard that are saying, well, not all of white America, but that's the problem. It's hard for people of color to feel that white America is with us and not against us. White America has not demonstrated the collective resolve to repent, rebuke, and reorient itself against racial injustice. And that includes Christians. White Christians can opt out of outrage over racial injustice because the status quo works for them. I'm Steve Allred, and this is Do Justice. Just before the turn of the century in 1896, Ellen White, a co-founder of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, wrote the following words. The American nation owes a debt of love to the colored race, and God has ordained that they should make restitution for the wrong they have done them in the past. Those who have taken no active part in enforcing slavery upon the colored people are not relieved from the responsibility of making special efforts to remove, as far as possible, the sure result of their enslavement. I hope you caught that last line. Those who have taken no active part in enforcing slavery upon the colored people are not relieved from the responsibility of making special efforts to remove, as far as possible, the sure result of their enslavement. Now, if you know history, you know that slavery morphed into other forms of oppression after the Civil War. As Jim Crow laws took over much of the nation and lynchings became commonplace, followed by the law and order mass incarceration movement of the 1970s and 80s that continues to this day and disproportionately affects black Americans. So what's the solution and what do we do now? This is part two of a conversation about the killing of George Floyd and its aftermath in America. In this episode, my guests and I explore whether our Christian faith changes how we approach the issue of racism, and my guests share some ideas of what white American Christians like me can do to make a difference going forward. So all of us on this on this call right now are followers of Jesus. And I want to kind of just shift for a moment here. Not I want to still talk about racism and what's going on in our country, but I want to maybe put on another pair of glasses here and and ask the question from a Christian standpoint as as people of color and people of faith. Um how does your faith change your perspective on how you deal with this or does it at all? Um compared to somebody who say doesn't have um, 
you know, faith in Jesus and is experiencing these things in our country right now. And, and maybe let's ask this question, what would Jesus do about racism if he lived in America in 2020? That's perhaps a hypothetical we don't know the answer to, but maybe we do. So who wants to tackle that? You know, Jesus in the context of 2020 is a real exciting thought. Um, <laughs> and uh, what, what, what would he look like? Would he be white, black, mm. brown? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Would he be a minister of a mega church or a traveling evangelist? Would he be a, a tradesman, an educator? We don't know. You know, we do know he was not a politician. We do know that he had his eyes set on giving us the opportunity to have a better world to come. And yet he did not ignore his existing surroundings. Um, I think some of the specifics, it's hard to know what he, what he would do, but we certainly know the principles he stood for. You know, when we look at Micah um, 6, 8, where God tells us, hey, do justice, love mercy. When we look at Zechariah 7, and we hear how, I don't want you fasting and crying, you know, there's some people you need to take care of, and because mm-hmm. you haven't, I'm angry with you, mm. right? Um, we, we look in Matthew at the Phoenician woman. that Jesus clearly um, took the time to help his disciples know, look, she's different than you. She needs me, and I'm here for her. Or the Samaritan woman, you know, people that had clear disdain in the, in the eyes of the establishment of that time. You know, John says the disciples came back and wondered why were we even talking to this woman? Right. So, you know, I believe as, as, as Christians, we can embrace those principles that are espoused from the scripture, which clearly state we were created in the image of God and we all have one blood. Um, I, I believe my faith informs me to realize that there is a spiritual battle that's happening. That hate is not something that originates with a human. Um, that there are consequences for our, our actions. Um, but that there's a an opportunity I have to attempt to be godlike. That's what a Christian is, a follower of Jesus. And so um, I I, I think sometimes it's really easy to see how to live that, and other times I think it's harder. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's easy to do, and sometimes it's hard to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But giving our world an opportunity to see the light that we're supposed to be and the salt that we're supposed to be when it comes to embracing championing some of these inequities that are there, restraining some of the fury and anger anger that happen because of those things. I think we all have an opportunity to say, what does it mean to be a Christian in this? The side of the coin that I like to focus on too is um, the, the aspect you talked about, uh, Cedric, where, you know, God says, listen, you're fasting, you're worshiping, you're, you're doing all these things. Um, but I'm not going to listen to your worship. I mean, Amos talks about this, right? I won't even accept your worship. I hate your worship is the word that God uses, uh, as long as um, injustice is happening, as long as you're perpetrating or allowing 
this to happen. Um, God says in Isaiah 58, verse 6, Is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Um, Trevor, I think I heard you You were going to talk here. So, Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, your question, you know, what would, um, you know, Jesus be about today? Um and then I believe the second, the first part, which is the second part I'll answer, which is about, uh, you know, how does your Christianity inform you? I want to answer both of those questions. Number one, I think that Jesus would be about, I don't think Jesus would change his mission if he was alive today. Um, and I think, you know, generally we as Christians, uh, you know, the, the, the general thing that we would say is, you know, Jesus, you know, he came to save us from sin. Well, if we read Jesus's mission statement in Luke 4, it says this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind and to set those who are oppressed free. I believe that if Jesus was here today, he would still be about that. And particularly the last clause there, to set those who are oppressed free. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Jesus would be about freeing and, and doing whatever he could um, to make sure that there was justice by loosing whatever bands of injustice and oppression were in society, I think Jesus um, would be about that. You know, you know we, 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 we kind of make Jesus, you know, like he's otherworldly. In other words, I like to say it to my congregation this way. No one would kill you if you just say, I want to die for your sins. <laughs> you know, that, that, was, that is not what got Jesus killed. What got Jesus killed was he went into the temple. He saw that people were being oppressed. They wanted to worship God, but they were being exploited. So what did Jesus do? He overturned everything in the temple. It was at that point that they said, we're going to kill him. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was at that point where, and if you read the, the I think it's, uh, either Mark or Matthew's account, I can't remember which one, but it says that he threw the money changers out and then those who were poor came in. That's actually what it says. And I think that's what, 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 what Jesus would be doing. I think he would be making a way for those uh, who were poor um, and, and who were dis- disenfranchised to be able to hear the good news of the gospel, sort of like um, what, uh, you know, God tells Moses to say, let, let my people go, um, you know, release them from these chains of bondage that they have so that they can worship me. Um, I think that's what Jesus would do. He would give them Sabbath. He would give them a rest so that the people can um, freely and authentically worship God. The second part I want to answer is I think that my, my Christianity gives me hope. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I think I would, I, I would not be able to just, you know, do what I do and be involved in, you know, community and, you know, advocating for justice, things of that nature. If I didn't believe that one day, um, you know, that, that first of all, I'm co-laboring with God in doing that. And then secondly, that ultimately God will one day uh, bring it about. If there's no hope, then my life would just be miserable. Thank you. Um, Chongo, I want to let, let me address this question to you since I haven't uh, 
heard as much from you as I want to here. Um, <laughs> you know, when Jesus was on the earth, so the Romans were oppressing, you know, the Jewish nation. Um, and well, I, I think Trevor, you bring up a great point about how Jesus, um, what went into the temple and he, yeah, he, he, um, was, took a, a, you know, bunch of cords and, and threw over the, uh, money changers tables and, um, and, and brought about reformation, uh, from oppression within that system. Um, the Jews were really resentful of the Romans who were ruling over them and they wanted to, you know, overthrow them and they wanted to revolt against them. And Jesus didn't lead out in that. Interestingly enough, I've been reading through, a little book called Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings uh, by Ellen White recently. And and she talks about how they, they hated the Romans with a vengeance. And so here's, here's a tension I want to throw out to all of you. And Chong, I'd like you to comment on this first, if you'd like. And that is, while we are called to seek justice for the oppressed, I mean, the Bible's full of calls to do that. We just, you know, Isaiah 58, uh, you know, Trevor, you just mentioned Luke chapter 4, uh, Proverbs 31, 8 and 9, speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. So while we're called to do that, and while Jesus gives us an example of that in a, in a certain context, he also gives us the admonition to love our enemies and to, to do good to those who uh, hate us and persecute us. And, and he did that in the context of the Jews with the Romans. And so let me ask you this, Chongo, how do we do both at the same time? How do we love our enemies and yet at the same time seek justice for the oppressed? And maybe that's those aren't contradictory things, but maybe it can seem that way at least sometimes. Uh, you know what, Steve, I, um, I've been thinking about that myself and I, um, maybe someone else can start off with that one and then I can chime in. Okay. Um, because I, I, you know, cause I, I, the last question you asked, I, I was thinking about, you know, how like sometimes we have ideas and we think they're mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about, um, yeah, like how do how do you how do you do that, right? How do you seek justice and still love? Right, and and let's just Don. Let, Don, let, could you pick up on that one? Yeah, I want to hear from Don. And let me just say this: I think that you kind of brought, I think, a point out there, Chongo, even just in your question, because justice and love are not mutually exclusive, right? I mean. Um, I think sometimes we think of them as being that way. If you hold somebody accountable, somehow you're not loving them. But that is not the biblical concept of justice. It might be, you know, if we're thinking about just angry, you know, retribution type of um, justice, like I want to get even. Well, that's not love. But uh, holding someone to account, a police officer who just murdered a man on the street, making sure that he is um, penalized to the fullest extent possible is not unloving necessarily. Um so, Don, what are your thoughts? How do we seek justice and love our enemies at the same time? Well, I feel like, first of all, we have to acknowledge that these are commands from God. So it's not a, we're going to have to figure out how to do this. Um, mm, okay. He says, you know, forgive your enemies 70 times 7, indefinitely. Um, and also seek justice for the oppressed. I think where people think that... Um, it contradicts is that how can we love the person who is oppressing us? Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, going back to um, Martin Luther King's philosophy, his philosophy was love to always treat with love. And there's a reaction that 
is within human beings. Maybe it's through the spirit of God. That when one sees love unconditionally, it just affects us. When people were marching and being attacked by police and dogs and fire hoses and such and not fighting back, one of the purposes for that was to show this to the rest of the country. And when the rest of the country saw this, that's when the rest of the country started thinking, maybe we're not doing this correctly. Hmm. Um, so I, I feel like showing that love um, is important, which is an odd thing to say, considering how I'm feeling so angry and sad and, and, and indignant and frustrated right now at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, we, but we have to love them. Otherwise, we're just going to make an enemy and we're going to make things worse. Um, as far as that seeking justice, you know, God tells us to seek justice as well. Um, and if that means that we have to stop someone who is um, doing the opposite of justice, then that's our command as well. Do we do it out of revenge? Hopefully not. Hopefully we do it for the love of the oppressed, not anger or revenge against the oppressor. Um, and I think that motivation is at least a way to start mm-hmm. mm. doing both of those commands. Um, but uh, I, I'm interested in what the others have to say as well. Those are good thoughts. Yeah, and I want to hear from uh, Trevor and Cedric here, and and Chongo, if you have any additional thoughts. I want to just jump in really quick, because Don, you made me think about um, Moses, and I've just been listening to the story of Moses, um, and how he initially, here he was, this mighty prince, right? And he sees his own people being oppressed, and so he, he does what I think any of us would naturally want to do. And he goes and he kills the Egyptian overseer who's abusing this Hebrew slave. Right. And he kills him, buries him in the sand. And, you know, it's funny because the Bible doesn't really condemn him for that. But what God does do is he takes Moses out in the desert for 40 years after that, to the point where Moses no longer feels powerful or able to do things on his own. And then God says, okay, now I want you to go, and lead my people out of Egypt. And we're going to do it my way now. It's going to be a little bit different than you did it before. And I wonder, you know, like, yeah, I think naturally our tendency is to want to take revenge as opposed to maybe what Moses later learned, which was that God will fight for us. But where is that balance? Um, Trevor, um, Cedric, what do you guys think? Yeah, my mind kind of goes to Romans 12. Um, the few... Um, Verses there where, where Paul looks to give some practical advice for living um, for us. And, and I think that last verse, verse 21, says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. <clears throat> it doesn't necessarily give you a specific ingredient, but it certainly speaks to the principle behind what should motivate us in our actions uh, as Christians. The Two verses before that says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay. And so, you know, that idea of of not seeking a scorched earth policy seems to have some merit there. And it certainly doesn't mean you cannot protect yourself, you cannot advocate, you cannot seek to change, to look for restitution. Um but in embracing what we hope to be a better world, 
we should look to overcome evil with good. And so how does that happen? What are the, the techniques, the strategies that are supposed to be superior to just using evil for evil? Um, and sometimes that is dialogue. Um, it, it doesn't mean there aren't consequences for decisions that have been made. Um, but it certainly um, subscribes to the idea that what I should be doing as a follower of Jesus should be superior in motive and in philosophy to what is being used on the other side. You know, um, I, 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 I would like to chime in on this question. Um, I, I think it has a lot to do with your motivation. Uh, so why you are appealing to justice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I'll tell you what I mean. I, I learned a lot this week from the mayor in Atlanta. I don't know if you all saw what she said. I believe it was on Friday when her city... Um, started to have some riots there. And what she said was, we are better than this. And I think that's the place where we should uh, call people to justice from. You are better than this. We are better than this. Um, So it's a call up. It's not a call of condemnation to put someone down, Mm -hmm. but it's to call for the God and the humanity, the dignity that is in all of us, that you can't stay ignorant on issues of race. Mm-hmm. You can't stay silent on race. Um, and, and we must do something about this country and where it is because we are better than this. And I think that that, is, uh, the, 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 that keeps love in it, you know, for me, at least a mama, that keeps love uh, in it because it's calling the person up and it's calling the person not out of a name calling, you know, you're a bigot or, you know, so on and so forth. We could, you know, racist and all that, all that kind of stuff. Uh, um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's from a place to say, um, you know, you, you're better and we're better and we have to rise up to become more godlike um, uh, in, in the way that we are. Mm, that's beautiful, man. I, I think it, that's, that's powerful. It, Mm-hmm. If I could throw something in there really quick, I, I love what you were just saying. Um, I was in a study yesterday about justice, and godly justice is not e- evenness. It's not an eye for an eye. It's mercy with justice. It's more than what we already have, and it's more than what people deserve. Um, and I really love that idea of justice being a call up. You know, I recently. I was, I was just thinking, Chongo, yes, 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 yes. Well, I was just thinking, like, if we loved our enemies, then they would not be the George Floyd. Because if that officer loved his enemy, which I'm assuming was George Floyd, we would not have had what we saw. Mm-hmm. You know, as as Christians uh, who you know believe in. Uh, apocalyptic prophecies about you know in time um, religious intolerance and and uh, perhaps eventual persecution and so on and so forth I, I think back to the early Christian church um, 
who were not persecuted because of their race, but were persecuted because of their faith, which I recognize is, you know, different on many levels. But I think there is, a, you know, just just to think about how the early Christians um, treated their persecutors and what that did to their persecutors is an interesting lesson, I think, to, you know, think about the end of times with as we look forward to the future. And, um, and I... I, I read. I just recently read a book by um, Ibram Kendi, um, "Stamped from the Beginning." Have you guys read that? Any of you? No, 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 no. no. What was that about? So, so Ibram Kendi, he's um, a professor at um, oh man, which which college? It's somewhere out on the East Coast there, and um, he's written a couple of books. So, the first one was "Stamped from the Beginning" about um, how racism basically has informed America's history from the, the beginning of time. And actually, he. He goes into a lot of these Enlightenment thinkers who were um, essentially racist. It's it's quite eye opening. And then um, he also has written another book called "How to Be an Anti Racist." I haven't read that one yet, but um, but I think what was interesting to me is this: he's not a Christian, from what I can tell. In fact, I think he's kind of been burned by Christianity. And I, I his book to me was very eye opening, informative. But when it came to the solution, the solution was simply. Uh, political change, you know, like we've got to change the laws to stamp out racism. And I guess I want to hear from you guys. Do you think that is really going to work long term? Is that the ultimate solution? Um, because it seems like we've been doing that, and it doesn't seem like it's changing some of these people's hearts. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. I think we should have both, uh, or we should have the laws for sure. But is there something in addition to that that we need? Um, and then there's the other question. I mean, I don't want to be fatalistic, but we live in a sinful world. Will racism ever go away? You know, we've got sinful uh, people. You know, we're, we are sinners, and the people. You know, we all have racism within us, perhaps. Um, and those who choose to, uh, you know, go down that path, is it ever going to get better? Um, so, what do you guys think? What's the ultimate solution? Are laws enough? Um, is that really going to solve this problem? Um, I'll jump in. <laughs> Look, um, I, I think that's an excellent question. And um, I, 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 I think that there is a need um, for, for, for laws yes. you know, to, yes. to help with, with, with justice. Um, I know that I watched, um, actually this year, um, I watched a speech that Martin Luther King Jr. was giving. Uh, and, uh, you know, he was asked this question, you know, and I, I I'm going to crucify his quote, um, but it was so beautiful the way that, 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 that he said it, um, that, uh, you know, where he was expressing that, yeah, we do need to change the laws. You know, he, he, uh, you know, he, the, the question was asked, you know, you know, don't we just need to change people's hearts? You know, don't, um, mm, you know, mm-hmm. he says, and he said basically something to the effect that. Well, you know, he can't do that, but what the law can do is it can hold somebody accountable or even afraid so that they won't, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, do, do violence towards me. And so we do need laws. Yes. Yes. But agreed. The, 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 I think the history of the Bible is that, um, particularly with Israel is a history of, you know, they have laws they break those laws, more laws are added. Those laws are broken. They add more laws. They break the laws, more laws are added. The, the, the point is that no matter how many laws are added, 
it, 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 it doesn't fix their problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why the, uh, in Deuteronomy, you know, Moses, his, his final speech, his argument uh, to them is, you know, that, that you all actually need a circumcision of your heart. In other words, you mm-hmm. need to change mm-hmm. a part. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so I think that is ultimately the, the, the answer. Um, but I think only God can change someone's heart, right. you know, and, and, and there are some people who don't believe in God, you know, just to be honest. And, and so, you know, living in a pluralistic society, we need laws to then protect and to put a hedge and to restrain the, the evil and the, you know, the violence uh, that, that, that is in um, humanity. So, so I, I don't think it's an either other, mm-hmm. uh, either or, I should say, I think it's a, it's a both and. Yes. Well said. I, I think, yeah. I, go ahead. Chongo. Sorry. I, I, I think there has to be an acknowledgement that there is racism. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times people um, try to say, oh, there's, there is no racism. I'm not racist or, or whatever the case may be. Uh, or the, uh, they, they don't see it or they, they just feel like it's a few people, which in some cases it is. But I think an acknowledgement that there is uh, would allow like a more uh, robust discussion and just even just um, solutions of, towards racism. But if we don't acknowledge that it exists, then we're just sweeping it under the rug. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Cedric. Yeah. So what Chandra and Trevor said is spot on. Um, I wanted to just add a, a couple of thoughts to both of what they said. So, you know, I think it's probably worth drawing some distinction between racism and bias. Um, you know, racism is that cherished Um, attitude that leads you to make decisions in your best interest against someone else's best interest, despite evidence and arguments to the contrary, in my mind, right? I mean, and it's probably a limited view and it can be established and it's been more eloquently expressed. Whereas bias in my mind is you make a, you, you pursue an action um, based on some beliefs which aren't accurate. Um, bias can be informed. I think it's dangerous for us to believe that we don't have biases. I think biases mm-hmm. are inherently mm-hmm. human. Right. That's how we go about our life. And it's the un and some and sometimes we have um, biases we aren't aware of. Mm-hmm. And it's when we have interactions, it's when Amy Cooper perhaps had that interaction with Christian Cooper that maybe the bias that was there, and I'm not going to go one way or the other, I'm just being theoretical here, was exposed to her. And you can choose, now that I see my bias, how am I going to respond to this? Am I going to say, yes, you're right, I have a perception and a view that is inaccurate and needs to be changed? Or am I going to double down on that and say, this is my worldview it makes sense the heck with what you have to say, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think even as a part of the minority community, when it comes to how we relate to the world, relate to each other, how men relate to women and women to men, we have to be willing, humble enough to say, I can't always see through your eyes. Help me. 
and be courageous enough to say, now that I have a better sense of what's happening, I'm willing to modify my um, position, opinion on how this should be looked at. And I think we limit a very important part of our conversation in society when we can't acknowledge that we all have bias. Um, I think laws are not enough. And once again, what the Christian perspective provides is hope. Hope that one day the person who originally formed this world will form it again and change things that we can't change because you can't legislate a change in people's heart. Um, if we didn't have racism here, we know that there are other ways that individuals who want power and control pursue such as class or gender or religion. Mm-hmm. But it's, I believe some of those fundamental um, motivators in humanity to say, how can I look for a way to create a world where I am above you? Mm-hmm. Um, and here in America, because we are predominantly or have been historically predominantly a Christian-based value system, religion hasn't been as much of an issue. But we see some of that, especially when it comes to some of our Islamic brethren and sisters, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um so I, I think it's worth wanting that. And then finally, I do think some law-based approaches are appropriate. That certainly got us to some of these positions that we're in, and it can mm-hmm. be helpful in, in extricating ourselves. Stephen, you're probably more familiar with this than any of us, given your law background, but I just think this idea of qualified immunity that our law enforcement officers have limits their accountability. And I'm not aware of very many other professions where you have such carte blanche protection despite some of the actions that you've done. And so I think I would love to hear a discussion. Uh, the New York Times had a very interesting article on the idea of qualified immunity. And now you have justices on both sides of the political spectrum saying, we need to look at this again um, when it comes to how much leadway we're giving our law officers when it comes to their ability to enforce the law. Um, that won't cure racism, but I go back to one of my points earlier, which is if those who are enforcing the law and looking like the law to us are an issue, how is the rest of it supposed to change? In a similar way, we could say, well, if Christians are getting it wrong, how is the rest of the world supposed to see what God is like, mm-hmm. right, based mm-hmm. on what our profession is? Wow, good thoughts. I want to finish up with a simple question that might be um, not so simple to answer, but uh, and I'd like all of you to pitch in and or jump in if you'd like and just uh, you know share if you'd like and if if not that's fine. But here's the question: How can our listeners support um, black people in America right now, people of color, those who are feeling marginalized, afraid, um, brutalized? What can we do to support you right now? Hey, Steve, I'd like to answer um, with two parts to that. 
um, yesterday morning, a white friend of mine called me up and said, hey, I just wanted to call and check on you. Um, it is so obvious that this, this country still has evil tendencies, still has racist tendencies. And I just wanted you to know that you're in my thoughts and prayers, and I'm really concerned about you, and I wanted to know uh, how you're doing. Mm. And he actually apologized for the racism that was going out there. Now, I don't, I don't hold any individual person responsible for racism. You know, I, I told him as much. Um, but man, that made a difference. Mm. To just reach out and say, hey, I see you. I see what is going on. And I'm on your side. That made such a huge difference to me. Mm. Um, that was really wonderful. <clears throat> and the second thing is, please, please, please educate yourself. Mm -hmm. um, that's not something that can happen in a Facebook post. Mm -hmm. This takes time. It is something that can happen in little chunks uh, over months or years. Um, so, I've been blessed enough to not have been directly affected by a lot of racism in my life. I'm, I'm just that privileged. Um, so quite honestly, when I was, you know, growing up and other blacks would tell me, Hey, this was happening, that's happening. This is racist. And that's racist in the back of my mind. Sometimes I'm thinking, or maybe you're just not working hard enough. Um, and now when I'm on social media, I see those same types of thoughts um, that are being expressed. And I believe it's being expressed out of ignorance. And I don't mean that pejoratively. I just mean that they don't know. They don't know the history. Um, I had to stop and study the history of um, blacks in, in, in all cultures. Uh, first of all, to understand that, you know, the most progressive society in, in the world was once black. The richest society in the world was once black. We come from greatness. Mm -hmm. And we have to understand that. Um, Look at the, the amount of uh, inventions that blacks have made in this country. I mean, there are remarkable people that are exactly like us, and we can be too. So our mm -hmm. own education is very important. But the entire, um, the entire uh, country needs to be educated about why we're in this position right now, because the easy answers are just flat-out wrong. They're wrong. They have to be put in context. And if I could suggest something, the book that turned my understanding around completely was the new Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, in which he breaks down the legal system from top to bottom and shows how the system actually exists and how it's actually weaponized against black people. I didn't believe it ex existed before until I read that book. Mm. And if you're looking for something fast, um, there's a documentary on Netflix called 13th, refers to the 13th Amendment, the amendment that um, overthrew slavery, except it didn't quite overthrow slavery completely. Google it. Just read it. There's a clause to it. And mm. that clause has been um, taken advantage of. But if you want something within a couple hours that really gives great insight into why blacks are feeling the way we do to somebody else's point, how we see this as a series of events, not isolated incidents, that's a really good place to start. And maybe some others have some, um, some really good references as well. Thanks, Don. And, and thank you, by the way, yeah. for, for pitching in with those those um, really practical ways, I, I, you know, books to read, movies to watch. That that's excellent. Thank you, Trevor. All right. Um, if I could, I, I'd like to say some, uh, some say something to this question. Um, I want to say two things. Um, 
Um, and, it, and it really stems, and I, I've been really wrestling with this uh, since it happened. It's been, the names have been mentioned a couple of times in our conversation today, but the situation in New York with uh, Amy Cooper, where she called the cops on the uh, African-American, I believe his name was Christian Cooper. The, the irony of the situation to me um, with that story is both of them have the same last name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just thought that was so ironic mm-hmm. that both of them have the same last name. And that what if they, the relationship began with a conversation and immediately when names are shared, they would see they have a commonality. And I think that's where change comes to be able to see that, you know, this is another human being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're different different colors. We have different hair, you know, you know, name the differences. There, there, there are a ton of them there, but we are human and, and we are part of a family. Mm-hmm. And if we, we, we begin to see each other and to be intentional about, um, you know, acknowledging the biases that we have, uh, and, and that takes time. That's a process, but not to see, uh, someone as an other, but to see someone as a human being who is a part, I believe, of the family of God, and they deserve to be treated with the same love and respect that I would deserve. I think a lot of things in this country and in our world would be better if we treated people simply as the way we would want to be treated. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing that, that I would say, uh, uh, and, and this uh, might, this might uh, you know, be a little, um, you know, uh, Just preach, uh, bold. Man. Just preach. <laughs> but, okay. <laughs> but, but, but I think, you know, Martin Luther King said it, and it's still true, that the most segregated time in um, America he said it's Sunday morning in America, you know, church is still divided. And I would like to challenge, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm putting the challenge towards my white brothers and sisters, join a black church. Mm. Um, you know, uh, I, I think that would break down walls. Take a year, take six months and go to a black church, form relationships there, have conversations, get to know people. And I say it from that perspective because generally we see blacks going to white churches. That, that, that has been common, you know, for years. But I'm asking to, to have change happen. Have white people join a black church for, you know, a, a period of time. It doesn't have to be forever. But a period of time, you know, six months of hope, eight months of hope, nine months of hope, a year of hope, whatever it might be. And see what comes out of that experience. See how you can grow, what understandings could happen just out of that experience. I think that it would make a huge difference in getting change uh, to happen in our country. Mm. Good thoughts. I uh, Go ahead, Chanda. Well, I, um, my, um, my thought is, um, as somebody who has young children, uh, six and um, four, you know, read diverse books to your kids. Talk to your kids about um, just, you know, talk to them about racism. Talking to them about um, about these tough, tough, tough things that are that are happening. Understand. Um, 
reach out with understanding to your brothers and sisters who are uh, look a little bit differently than you. Uh, I know the first thing that we want to do is counter someone's point. When somebody says Black Lives Matter, um, we want to say, yeah, Black Lives Matter, but all lives matter. But, you know, ask your friend why they're saying Black Lives Matter. Seek to understand where they're coming from. You know, God said um, in Matthew 5, he said, blessed are the poor. He didn't mean that, you know, to exclude the rich, but he he knew at that time that he had to point out certain things. Blessed are the poor. Um, so just, you know, just seek out a little bit more understanding. Read diverse books. Don't just read uh, books by people that look like you. Uh, read books by all people that, you know, even people that don't look like you. Um, it's nice to see um, uh, when when I go into a school, it's, it's nice to see books by different authors and books that have people that look like all kinds of ways. So I love that my kids get to see that. Um, so yeah, just like look, you know, reach out with understanding. Um, if somebody is hurting, if somebody is out there protesting, you know, um, ask them why, you know, and just like, and really, really look to understand where they're coming from. Just have a conversation. Don't have a conversation with people that look like you and just that think like you only. Um, educate yourself. Thank you, Chongo. Cedric? I'm just laughing because uh, I think they took all of the great ideas. <laughs> um, I was uh, particularly drawn to thank you guys for sharing. I, I took in some notes on some of the things you've said, especially some of the resources to look into. Um, I, I agree with what Trevor said about the challenge of going to um, worship in a black church. You know, I, I think to go to listen, to sing, to pray, to feel to experience and learn is something that uh, will be life-changing. And, and I certainly would encourage that. Um, you know, I, I, I think what I would advise individuals not to do is to patronize or make it seem like you understand what it's like because it's, it's not, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so that can be equally disputing um, if, you know, it feels like it's not genuine or it, it trivializes, uh, the experience that's, that's, that's there. Um, I, I would say, uh, keep listening to the podcast, even, I think you're doing some great work and I encourage your listeners to, uh, to continue to, to tune in with, with some of the things that you're presenting there. Um, and then I think while African-Americans and those of a black heritage are certainly, the minority in our country, uh, a good bit of the country is going to have an opportunity to encounter them. Um, and so it doesn't have to be a prolonged conversation. It can be a simple courtesy, a smile, a nod. As you're pursuing your routine daily activities to help somebody know that their existence is meaningful and matters and the small things help build that community spirit. Um, and so that's what I would encourage you to do. It, it could be a neighbor. Um, we're all are kind of uh, been limited in this with the social quarantining that's happened. Um, but as we emerge from this and as you cross paths with someone who doesn't look or dress like you, um, make a point to speak 
You can still keep that six foot of distance, but speak. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Cedric. Um, and, and thank all of you for, uh, being vulnerable today, taking this, uh, time when I know, um, you know, just the emotions that you, you shared, uh, throughout this, this conversation, it's a difficult time for, for you and for those in the, um, the African-American community, the black community here in America. And I, you know, I was, um, talking with, um, Trevor yesterday and, and some, uh, other, uh, panelists on a discussion panel. And I, I shared with them, I said, you know, listen, I want to just say, first of all, to you, to the African-American community that, um, you know, as a white person who recognizes that I have had a really, um, privileged life, I, I come from a privileged, privileged place, um, on this issue, um, I want to say that I'm sorry for what you, uh, my brothers and sisters of color, are going through right now in America and the horrors that you've been subjected to over uh, generations uh, here in the United States. And I'm sorry for ways that that me and people that look like me have um, enabled or perpetrated uh, systems that have benefited us and threatened and um, even led to um, you know, the destruction of people of color 